March 2nd, 2021. And I am Samantha K, and this is the Samantha K Experience. Hi, guys, welcome back to a brand new episode. Today, I have a lot of jam packed stuff that I want to discuss with you guys. Um, the reason I haven't been here for a while is that I've been doing some um, remote learning um, for the past few weeks and pretty much between that and I've also been not been feeling well. Um, it's not anything um, COVID related, not at all. I've been taking uh, proper precautions with that. It's just that I just have been just feeling under the weather um and it goes off and on but hopefully in time I would go and find out um like what's really going on so that I can like you know put it into this but yeah guys I hope everyone is doing well on this nice 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 uh Tuesday evening and without further ado once again I am Samantha K, and this is the Samantha K Experience. All right, guys. So, just a few things. There's a lot of things. I shouldn't say a few. There is so much stuff that I wanted to talk to you guys about today on the show. Um, I've been, like, since I've been MIA, I've been watching a lot of stuff. And I know a lot of you have... Uh, know that I'm into a lot of like Netflix documentaries or just documentaries in general. Um, I don't really have a preference on where I watch them. It's just that I have a Netflix account and majority of the shows that I watch and movies that I watch happen to be on Netflix itself. Um, but I want to talk to you guys about this um, popular uh, docu-series that just came out about maybe two weeks ago it is the uh crime scene the vanishing at the cecil hotel now i gotta tell you this series was crazy like it it was like uh like i want to say like it was like a a whodunit or it's more like what happened like i think that was one of the major questions if not the only question that was asked um, just to give you guys a little backstory, um, okay, so the Cecil Hotel is like this, you know, this hotel out in, uh, Los Angeles, California, and, and especially it's in, located in the downtown area. Now, back in the 1920s, I believe the exact year that the Cecil Hotel was, um, built was our... December 20th or it opened on December 20th 1924 um this hotel was like it wasn't like a really like I guess it was at the time uh it opened to be kind of like a fancy hotel I, I wouldn't say it was like the the equivalent of what we know to be like the Ritz Carlton but it was okay it had like um 15 floors it had 700 guest rooms um it was pretty much like a really big um place it was not one of the biggest buildings in downtown los angeles but it it had a lot of rooms and honestly that's the first time i've actually heard that a hotel had that that many rooms but that's just me 
Um, so basically, the reason for like this, the whole big thing about the Cecil Hotel is that this hotel has a lot of uh, negative history. Now, in the beginning, I would say like in the 1920s, like like shortly after it was built, you know, we had the Great Depression and downtown Los Angeles got hit pretty hard. So what happened was that a lot of people who were like, you know, that had some money or whatever, it was, you know, it was a good place for them. But when a lot of people were down on their luck and, you know, either lost their jobs and lost, you know, any financial um, stability that they have, you know, the capabilities of supporting their families, et cetera, et cetera. Um, basically they kind of turned the hotel, the hotel kind of fell on hard times as well. And the hotel kind of became a place for like just anybody to go to. Um, it kind of became a place where like old men would go and then they would like meet and have prostitutes would come to the building. And then lo and behold, like people who just like looking to get away, um, from I guess the pressures of their everyday life would kind of go to this uh this place um this hotel and the hotel at the time was like after like the hotel um sort of recovered after the great depression the hotel was like really um cheap it was really the rooms were like really affordable I think at one point in the documentary it had mentioned that the hotel was um you could pretty much rent a room for like maybe I would say like just a couple of dollars you know a a week and now compared to today's times like you can't even like one person just spending a time in hotels like like hundreds and hundreds of dollars if anything if you if you don't have like the right deals um and and travel coupons it's like really expensive um yeah so the hotel had fell on hard times and and also not only that a lot of uh derelicts uh, started attending the um hotel um people would start um coming into the hotel and using it for places like for prostitution and uh, and it became very known for drug areas and um for being a big drug area a lot of people were going there doing drugs and unfortunately um after a while at a certain point the building was known as the suicide because the building had a lot of suicides um occurring over the time frame um I think it was estimated that the hotel might have had at least a number of um uh, I think it's more than, than, uh, well, actually, actually somewhere in the teens. I think it was, um, according to, uh, Room Spook, it was a website that tracks hotel deaths. Um, they said that the hotel, um, had at least 13 suicides that happened there. Um, one notable, noticeable one was a man, um, who shot and killed himself in front of his, um, well, I don't know if he shot and killed himself in front of his wife and child, but he had committed suicide back in 1927. Um, he was 52. He shot himself in the head while he was in one of the rooms after he was unable to reconcile with his wife and child. So he pretty much, um, died on the way to the hospital or he was already pronounced dead on the scene. 
Um, another one had occurred like in 1931. Um, uh, this gentleman, uh, uh, W.K. Norton, he had, uh, died in his room, died in his room, due to taking poison capsules and and whatnot so pretty much throughout 40s and 50s uh there was more suicides occurring on a hotel in the hotel excuse me than i would say practically almost all in you know any place else at that point um and it also had a couple of murders as well a few people gotten murdered so at this point the the hotel had a lot of bad juju going on with it i mean you've had people dying like i think in the documentary it was stated that pretty much um almost like every year or just you know someone passed away in the hotel um at one point i think uh they mentioned the the former hotel manager um had mentioned that she had she was in the process of giving a tour to someone who was going to stay at the hotel and the SWAT team I believe were had their guns drawn because a guy was running around I think he was stabbing people or something like that so they told her to like get back get back get back and it was like a really intense um situation was like a standoff and such um also like the weirdest thing um it was always it was also said that the um the serial killer um Richard Ramirez who was known as the Night Stalker in the 70s and 80s um he was known to uh be a resident at that same hotel the funny thing about the hotel is at one point or another the hotel had become kind of like sort of a um you know they cut off like parts of the hotel and transformed it into this nice little fancy smancy um place for the more like modern um folks who are like more into like tech and stuff and so one side literally one the other side of the hotel was called stay on main while the other side was pretty much known as the hotel cecil so you still had like the kind of like the 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 disturbed and 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 you know the those type of people in the hotel mixed with people who were you know just looking to vacation and and see what you know Los Angeles is all about and it just so happens that the hotel is right in the mecca of the area of called Skid Row which is a population of homeless people and as you may know that a lot of people on the the streets you know they either some either choose to be there some don't it's by force um some may be having mental issues that they may not be able to to handle and you know they're just a lot of people just dumped out on the street and they're pretty much like forgotten and uncared about so while you got all of this stuff going on mixture with drugs and people going back and forth in the building it was like a lot of craziness with this building so basically this building has a lot of negative history attached to it and unfortunately the document the docu-series excuse me is basically about um this young lady who uh came came from canada she was trying to just um you know see the sights and 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 meet new people um 
her name was Elisa Lamb. And unfortunately, um, while she was staying at the Hotel Cecil, she passed away. So the docu-series pretty much takes place over um, a a certain a lot of time. Um, She decided that she wanted to travel to the United States, um, go sightseeing, go and visit and stay at this place because it was affordable at the time. And the hotel, everything seemed to be going somewhat okay. Like she, you know, she would write on Tumblr on her social media page about meeting new people. And she would discuss about, um, like, you know, she was just really good with her words and she would talk about a lot of personal stuff about her life and, you know, what was going on in her head. Like, what was she thinking? So she pretty much, um, chronicalized a lot of things that she was going through on on Tumblr so the situation is sometime before she was um, said to have come back home on this vacation that she had taken something goes horribly awry and she ends up disappearing unfortunately what happened was no one the the hotel hallways did not have any cameras visible. They only had a camera set up in the uh, elevator. So what happened was when she was reported missing, um, it had been like, I think a day, um, a, the same day she was reported missing by her family. Um, the problem was is that when police finally got the footage of her of her last known whereabouts she was it seemed to be like she was either under the influence of something or she was just like really acting kind of erratic like she was pressing a lot of the elevator buttons and she seemed to be looking outside of the elevator because she seemed like she was looking to see if someone was following her so we never really got to see from the footage um what exactly she was looking at or even if she was talking to someone in the hallway um and they have other people in the um the show that talk about you know who followed the case too who who also make um maybe uh video content about it on you things like youtube or some type of social platform so long story short um basically these people were saying that how they didn't think that you know like they didn't really know what was going on they had their assumptions like they were being kind of like sleuths and trying to find out like well what is going on with um with elisa why she seemed like she's not acting like herself so as we go on basically we find out that by her own admission that she is bipolar she found out sometime before she actually attended this um, trip and she's been bipolar for some time she was staying originally with uh, another set of of women who who decided that they didn't want her in in their room anymore because she was starting to act too erratic and too bizarre so the hotel decides to move her to another room by herself and this is where everything kind of turns to shit so now you leave this girl unattended and 
you obviously know that she's been acting kind of weird and awkward and you know with her behavior and no one says or does anything or contacts her family to find out what's wrong with this girl so about a few days later um obviously at this point the police get involved because you know now it's a kind of a not a a local thing because she says she's from overseas she's in Canada now this this is a real serious thing so she goes missing and no one seems to know where she is no one can find her they put her effects in storage they the police go and look through her computer to see who was the last people she spoke to you know things of that nature and they find that you know there was two guys that that escorted her to back to the hotel because she had had some she had purchased some books and they were in a box and she was afraid of of how she'll be able to travel with the box since she was going back home and whether or not it was going to be too heavy for her to carry um the police interviewed these two guys the two guys never according to the video footage that was seen from the out from the inside looking outwards towards the um the main entrance of the hotel no one these two guys were never seen or heard from again and never seen you know interacting with her or any in any type of capacity whatsoever so it was like well um what happened to Elisa like did she just disappear did somebody in the hotel do something to her it's like all of these questions started um coming up and no one could find out exactly what happened to her um unfortunately some time had passed and i believe it had been probably maybe a couple of months or a few months after she had disappeared a um workman at the um at the hotel was going to i had gotten a complaint about the water pressure being off and also when people would drink the water it tasted funny to them so he went up to the roof and the roof has like these four different um i want to call them cisterns a uh, cisterns cisterns um sorry um it's not a word that i use often so please bear with me so they have these four these four big water containers and when he opened the lid um to one of them as they say he opened one of them um then inside was lisa uh elisa's um dead body um floating at the top of the water so he noted he apparently closed the um the hatch and then went and back and reported that they found he found this young lady now the major thing that the police um that you i might have to tell you guys or i am going to tell you guys the police searched the roof they tried to retrace what they thought was elisa's last steps and could not find her they even had search dogs and nothing so then people started thinking maybe she was you know hidden somewhere and then placed there after the fact or whatever because she was wearing clothes when she was seen in the video and this was a video that went that was like pretty much viral all over the internet back in 2013 and she honestly I was just like wow like I was so like 
annoyed at the fact that a lot of these cases I hear, like, things could have been solved easier if people would have just taken the extra step, the extra mile, especially when it comes to, like, police work. Like, I don't like to be critical of the police and how they do their, their sleuthing and their, their job, but it was just one of those things, like, you know, you guys could have possibly found her earlier, and we could have probably found out and determined what it was the cause of death, like, how did she even get there? So the theory is, is that when she leaves the elevator, she immediately goes to her left and there's a set of stairs that's just out of shot that you guys can't see or anybody can't see unless like you're really there or something. And it said that she walked up those stairs and then there's a, um, a, a door that has like, supposedly has an alarm on it, but they assume that she opened the door must have felt hot or she just was like not within her right state of mind and somehow opened up the latch climbed in and then you know closed back the hatch the problem is is that the type of latch that is used there's no way you could open it from the inside because one if you're in the water there's no ladder for you to climb up to get out of it so obviously there's an issue here um and who supposedly put back the latch so then it comes out later on that the co the worker he originally said that the latch was on but when he talks again to um i think to the authorities he mentions that the latch was off he so i think what happened was that according to the documentary that um people thought that that it was originally said that that the latch was on but somehow reports got confused and the and it actually was off when he first found her so that kind of throws that foul play out of out of the water now out of the window excuse me so i just think basically like for me like i just couldn't understand how she got there i you know i don't want to make any speculations but i really feel like when they did the autopsy they found like she had low levels of medication in her system which is which can suggest that she was she got tired of taking her medication and she was weeding off of it and since her family wasn't there to kind of sort of like keep her on track um even some time had passed and the, the family even stated that she had a tendency to try to go off of her medications because she didn't want to take them because she didn't like the way how they made them feel made her feel um so i could only assume that maybe she was having a psychotic breakdown and she was starting to see things or hallucinating and she decided to walk up to outside on the roof and just jump in i don't think she did it consciously i think she really and truly was just out of her mind um not to say that you know to make light of the situation but usually when someone who suffers from these types of um you know mental illness things tend to be uh their points of view or their feelings or emotions on things tend to be altered from what we will probably know them to more to most likely react to things if they were on a more logical um thinking on a more logical level 
but overall i think that you know it's a really good series if you want to watch it um it talks a lot about how people on the street um and how people look at and view mental illness as a like a a a taboo subject like no one should wants to talk about it that people are too scared especially when it's dealing with people like in in the homeless population and also dealing with um the people that you know go in and out of the the building um fortunately the i think the building has since closed uh, i think in 2017 the building got bought out and i think it was they decided to close it i don't know what they're going to do with the building um i know that there were some some uh rooms were for residents for people who actually like for like living there as apartments people vacationing um and for other things so it's it had a multi-purpose it wasn't just for you know visiting and stuff like that some floors were dedicated to visiting some some had um actually personal floors but the problem was that the way that the elevators are built people are going to mingle with each other you might have you know one person from uh you know the city who likes um you know caramel macchiatos and they're into they're intermingling with someone who maybe who's on the street that might have just gotten a, a room because from some money that they might have gotten from you know out on the street or money that they might have saved who might not be in a, in, in a good financial state or, or best um way um personally so there's no cutoff point so I think that was one of the major issues like whether or not she ran into someone and they might have did something to her or given her some type of drug that will render her um in a relatively psychotic state um honestly I think it's a good show um it also talks about this guy who um who got accused of killing her and how the internet pretty much treated him as um you know as a social pariah and he hasn't fully recovered from that yet and he hasn't really gotten an apology because of the fact that he also had attended um he also visited that hotel but he he visited the hotel like a year before she actually did so what they were accusing him of really didn't make much sense so i didn't really understand what they were getting at but it just goes to show like how media and internet can be a dangerous uh, dangerous thing um yeah so you guys go out and watch it if you want if you like to um watch it and you know and just remember that this young lady um she lost her life tragically and she was a person she had she had dreams um she wanted to become a writer and through her writings and stuff that you know people read online she was really good very thought-provoking um person and you know i just wish that things had worked out um for the best for her instead of what ultimately happened to her um so rest in peace elisa lamb you know you are missed and i'm sure a lot of your friends and family they they miss you terribly 
and you know I just hope that you find the peace that you unfortunately couldn't find on this earth all right guys well I'm going to take a quick break and I will get back to you in about two minutes all right guys welcome back to the show okay so the next show that i was reviewing um honestly this is a little bit late about maybe a week or two late so i watched the uh wwe elimination chamber pay-per-view back on i believe it was what day that was um i think it was february 21st yeah that was like a like a week or two ago um yeah so here's the thing now i know some of you may not be uh avid wrestling fans i used to be more into it when i was younger especially around the uh attitude era but i kind of got like i weaned off of it um sometime and i think between 2005 2006 because i just stopped watching the episode um just just because it just felt kind of dry i know i mentioned this in a previous episode here on the podcast but uh, wrestling could be many things it could be enjoyable it could be not (laughs) but it's just i guess up to the person who you know what their view on fun is really is so here's my my thing about the elimination chamber match honestly for me as a pay-per-view i think it was not as bad as i had went into expectations thinking they could have given it as like a b minus or so um, I definitely think that the Raw um, men's elimination chamber match was better than the the one from SmackDown, only because of the fact that one, the champion um, at the time, Drew McIntyre, actually was defending his title in the elimination chamber match, as opposed to um, Roman, who wasn't in the elimination chamber match. So. He, at that point, had nothing to really lose, um, whereas Drew did. Um, the thing that I'm, I'm going to get back to that in a second about the Elimination Chamber and the, the, the champions. Um, we had a match with the, for the, I believe, for the, um, was it a tag match? Yes, it was a a women's tag match with uh, Bianca Belair and uh, Sasha mm-hmm. Banks versus, I believe it was um, the team of Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler. Um, due to uh, outside interference and stupidity, the sommelier, uh, who is Carmella sommelier, for some reason is hanging out with Sasha Banks and uh, Bianca Belair, which makes no sense to me whatsoever. I don't know how we escalated from point A to point B, but whatever. Um, But he inadvertently supposedly calls them the tag team championships. And I'm just like, bro, like, this is stupid. But anyway, it was an okay match. It wasn't like the greatest um, wrestling clinic ever put on, but it was good for what it was. 
Um, I'm trying to think what are the other matches that I saw that night. I'm just kind of drawing a blur. Um, it's been a while since I watched the pay-per-view, so I'm just trying to like remember exactly what the heck the matches were. Um, so bear with me. Yeah, so I, I didn't, I, there were certain things about the show I didn't really like too much, and I was just like, dude, like, what the heck is going on here, you know? Um, I think for me, I was like, well, the show, like I said, was like a B minus. Um, it was okay for what it was, and since it's pretty much, um, on the road to mess to wrestlemania you know it's one of those shows that you kind of look forward to but at the same time you don't really care if you really you know watch it or not because to you in a sense it's not really pertinent to the bigger the bigger show but yeah i i wanted to like talk about this nonsense that happened um so we have um I'm trying to find the results so I could just go over it real quick because I did watch it, but it, like I said, like it's been a while, so and I'm one of those people that I don't really go back and watch the pay-per-views like that unless, um, you know, I really like the show enough to watch it over. So it, it's just one of those things. Um, all right, I'm trying to find it so I can give it to you guys. So essentially um the whole oh oh, wait i gotta click on this then right oh my god this why is this not working dude it's just like so stupid why is this not working (laughs) anyway so i guess i might edit that part out (laughs) so here's here's the like the the major thing so there was a, a triple threat um match um for the united states championship i um didn't see this match it was with john morrison defeated mustafa ali and ricochet and elias to qualify for the united states championship title match i didn't see this match i believe this might have been on the kickoff show um so I believe Daniel Bryan had won the Elimination Chamber match to earn a universal title opportunity. And yes, he did get the title opportunity against Roman, but unfortunately, um, Bryan didn't win the match. Um, honestly, he just didn't win. Uh, I, I, I don't know. Um, he just didn't win. So, Matt Riddle and Bobby Lashley and John Morrison um, fought for another triple threat match um, for the United States Championship and Matt Riddle um, pinned John Morrison to beat um, the then current champion which was uh, Bobby Lashley in Bobby Lashley's uh, rage over losing the United States Championship um, you see MVP makes a deal with uh, the Miz backstage. They're at least talking, but we don't get to hear what they're saying. So the audience is not privy to any information or any conversation. Um, but hold, keep that thought because that's going to have a part to play later on in, in this review. So basically, um, 
like um the money in the bank um men's uh battle now drew mcintyre won the the elimination chamber match and he was currently champion at the time what the part i didn't like so much was now a lot of people got on like didn't get on my case about it but a lot of people said that they didn't understand why people were so mad that the miz ended up becoming the wwe um champion i think i'm it's like oh it's been long overdue let me explain something to you now i am a type of person that i feel like if i'm going to watch a wrestling show and you're going to tell me that majority of the year the past year spent where you have a wrestler although he's there a lot of the times he's just doing a lot of promo work he's not really wrestling as much or if he is wrestling his matches aren't really that good and i know people are going to be like but samantha the miz isn't that bad of a guy i'm like first of all listen i don't care this guy's been in and, and listen i like the miz I've, I've been a fan of his since when he was in um when he first started in tough enough and when he was in the um the road rules and and the 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 god what was the other show real world challenge like i liked him then but the problem is with the miz is that the miz is a phenomenal talker like he can talk his ass off like he could cut a really damn good promo he's good he has extravagant mic skills i give mike mizan in that but dead seriousness aside the man i've watched his wrestling matches the miss looks like he's afraid to hit people like he i've seen his punches and i've seen him kicking his he his offense is poor i mean it's not i would say it's not as bad as some other people who might be just now starting out as a rookie but it's not all that good it's like he's almost afraid to to hit his opponent and you as a heel should never look like you're afraid to hit your freaking opponent like you could almost hear him saying oh god oh god to himself when he's like striking let's say like somebody like cesaro or um shinsuke nakamura or i don't know some other person or ricochet like he's really sound looks like he's he's afraid like it, it looks too i want to say it looked too stiff it looks lame you know and and that's one of the issues that that's the major issue that i have with the miz it's not that the miz is a bad like he he just needs to work on that and i mean for all the years that he's been there you would have think that he was gotten better people say yeah he's gotten better over time but i'm like where i don't see it like it literally feels like it's like a turtle hiding in its shell like he doesn't seem like he's gotten any better I'm pretty sure that people would hear hear this review and like, oh gosh, he's trashing the Miz. I'm not really trashing him. I just look at some of his stuff and I'm just like, yo, dude, you could have done so much better. And on top of it, they didn't really give him much to do. Like, they forced the company forced the belt off of Otis because they realized they gave it to somebody that they really didn't think in the long run really deserved the belt. 
they they make him get rid of it all for some bullshit technicality they had his partner turn on him to make him lose that title and then they moved this part his former partner to raw during the 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 superstar shakeup or whatever the hell they call it the draft and they never completed that storyline with otis otis had a few months ago otis had a girlfriend and mandy rose it was pretty much like the beauty and the beast kind of thing they had that storyline they moved mandy to raw that deaded the storyline automatically they moved tucker over to raw haven't seen tucker since that pay-per-view that that otis lost his um his briefcase his money in the bank briefcase and that was it like they legit just fucked this guy out of the damn um briefcase and then after that that was the end of it you never heard of him again well you do hear from otis but you never heard of his former tag team partner and that was the end of that and then they had the Miz try to cash it in at TLC, but then they said that because John Morrison, who's the Miz's tag team partner, cashed it in for him, it doesn't count. But then I said, wait a minute, and then someone brought this up to attention. I believe it was JD from JD um, from NY206 had mentioned it on his podcast. It's like, that doesn't make any sense because look how many times that Brock Lesnar had the money in the bank and Paul Heyman, who was his quote-unquote advocate, has cashed in the money in the bank on Brock Lesnar's behalf. So how come one situation, it works in your favor, but the other situation, it doesn't? Like, that shit right there doesn't make any sense. And right there, they, the company, WWE screwed themselves because I don't think they really understood that people pay attention to things. And I don't want to be a nitpicky type of person, but that's kind of stupid. You can't say one instance is, one instance, yes, somebody could cash the money in the bank on someone else's behalf, on the the, the bank winner's um, briefcase winner on behalf, and then another, they can't do it. It just seems stupid. And obviously, it was a, a design to keep the Miz with the briefcase for a little while longer, because then Adam Pierce had came and told him, well... Since John Morrison did what he did, you're still technically the Money in the Bank winner. And I'm like, like, he won the the briefcase by someone else's um turning it back and cheating, essentially, and being jealous of not getting an opportunity. And guess what? The guy's still getting not getting an opportunity. So, what does that really like matter in the end? But going back to the Miz. Bobby Lashley comes out at the end of the match with um, Drew McIntyre after he ended up winning the uh, the Elimination Chamber match. Completely decimates the champion. Beats him to damn near the pillar of the post. Brings him back into the ring. The Miz's music hits and I, and I automatically felt the dread pour into my soul. Like, I heard the word awesome, and I was like, I freaking knew it. That That's what they were planning on doing. They decided to have uh, Bobby Lashley table scraps the, the wounded champion. And then here comes Miz, goes table scraps some more. Swoop in, um, tries to pin him, 
doesn't doesn't get it then he hit him with the skull crushing finale and he ends up becoming a new champion and no lie I think by the next night he lost the championship I I think that's what happened I didn't watch um um WWE Raw the next night I just you know watched the pay-per-views and maybe dabble in the show every now and then but that's about it um the problem that I have here is that the company's unwillingness to see the true um, potential in Drew McIntyre in terms of him being a, a title holder. Now, I understand that he became a title holder during this pandemic, so he never got the opportunity to win his championship in front of fans, live, a live audience at that, which really effing sucks, you know, and it was just dealt a bad hand. So I felt that, yes, it was the right move to make him champion, but you guys made him lose his belt like three times now. And it's been under a year since he's won this title. He's lost this belt three times now. Under a year. Like, are you stupid? Like, the first time he beat, he lost it was due to stupid-ass um, Randy Orton. I'm sorry, I don't mean to call Randy Orton stupid-ass because he's not a stupid-ass person. But you made this man champion at WrestleMania last year. And then now you then fast-forward a few months, you made him drop the title to Randy Orton. And Randy Orton was literally, they fought way too many times for it to be a thing. Like, it should have been maybe three matches the most and that's it like the the match didn't push drew any further and the match didn't push him back any further it was just whatever the same it didn't really help do anything for randy orton either because randy orton was literally like like wwe champion for like what maybe three three weeks to a month and then that was it then then sometime after that uh um, Drew gets the belt again, so now he's two-time champion. Now you're thinking he's gonna hold on the belt to WrestleMania. Uh-uh. What happens? He gets all the way here. First, he get contracts COVID along the way with, within the past um, few weeks or so. He could contracts COVID. Is healthy enough to participate in the Elimination Chamber match, and then all of a sudden. It's like pure uh, unadulterated chaos because now you just got this guy winning and beating beating him. And he didn't even make a full year as champion. Roman Reigns was out for majority of last year. Took off for re- took off during WrestleMania. Didn't come back until if I'm mistaken, it was probably didn't come back until uh, payback. If I'm if I'm not mistaken, if, if that was the pay per view, and completely decimated um, the Fiend and uh, Braun Strowman. Just came back, just attacked him and everything, and then he essentially then becomes champion later on by defeating. Um, I forgot who he defeated to get that belt. But anyway, I think he, I think it was Braun Strowman he defeated to get that belt. So I'm starting to think, well, what, what are you doing? 
So it was just one of those like it doesn't make sense. It's like they just treat Drew like he's just like the title WWE Championship is so insignificant compared to the Universal Championship. And I always felt like this: if you're going to have two world or two major titles on the show, treat them same. Treat them the same on each show, like. Have his show, his belt, be represented and representative, represented in the same capacity that the Universal Championship is. Is it not a title that the cha- a champion is wearing? So what is the problem? Like I just don't understand like their constant need to do certain things to make it look like Drew would never be even remotely in the same league as Roman, because Roman is now the golden boy for the company, even though. It still technically is John Cena, but John Cena is semi-retired, so I guess it's kind of like one of those, well, I still got more to go in the tank, but I don't know. I, I just find like that, that they just need to fix that type of mentality, and, you know, I just hope that things work out. All right, guys, Whew. I'm telling you, I'm getting kind of parched here. All right, so that concludes the TVs. Now, the movie section. I was going to talk about these two movies here. Um, I guess I'm going to talk about them in a brief or try to come, you know, we're getting close to um, maybe an hour. So I'm trying to talk about these movies in uh, briefly. So I watched these uh, this movie called Namaste Wahala and it translates into Hello Trouble it's a interracial movie about um, this couple in Nigeria she is on the beach running you know just enjoying her daily activities apparently he wasn't um, his name is uh, oh God, what was his name um well, I guess it doesn't really matter at this point, but um, it's just for my own personal, so when I could refer to him in the movie, I could just say, hey, this is this guy. All right, so <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. It's like, I got to tell you, it's like been a long, 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 long day for me. Okay, so the movie is about this interracial um, couple. It came out in 2021. Um it's a crossover between Bollywood and Nollywood. So there's this girl. She's a lawyer. She's a Nigerian lawyer named Didi. She's running on the beach and she runs into this guy named Raj, who happens to be an Indian investment banker. Now, first, they don't exchange each other's names because um, he crashes into her and they seem to be hitting it off pretty nice. So. Um, some time passes and well, not that much time passes. Um, Didi ends up working, um, or dealing with a, a battered woman, um, organization. So she goes one night with her friend cause she dragged her friend out cause her friend had recently broke up with her boyfriend. So what she does is she would go to some of these events and, and then 
and think that, you know, it's okay to find love here. Well, at least that's what a friend wants. So, um, they meet and it comes, turns out that the lady that, uh, she works with, um, that Didi works with happens to be the cousin of Raj. They hit it off, um, perfectly. Everything is fine until when, um, Didi goes and brings, uh, Raj home and things quickly change from bad to like incredibly bad. Her father doesn't like the fact that that he's Indian. So that was one of the issues. Then the fact that the matter is that the father wanted Didi to marry somebody who was Nigerian like this other character named um, Sumto. Like Sumto was a worker at her place of business, but she just doesn't want to be dealing with him. But I think the problem was is that the parents um, on Didi's side and on the mother's side with Raj... I think the problem was is that they never really gave their kids a chance to grow up and be people, actual people. So I think that's one of the major issues there with that. Like just not giving them the opportunity to go out and work with people and stuff like that. So, so a lot of things happen in the movie, like um, when. Like I said, when uh, Dee Dee takes Raj to go and see her family, um, he doesn't get a welcome reception. Um, his Her father pretty much says that it can't happen because he's not Nigerian. Um, Raj feels a type of way because, you know, he didn't, um, he, she, well, he feels some type of way because Dee Dee didn't inform uh, his parents, uh, her parents, excuse me, that he was Indian. So that causes a rift in between their relationship. And at this point, I think they were dating for about three months. Um, yeah, they were dating for like three months or so. So they, that was a little, uh, issue there. Um, at one point, Dee Dee, I think comes over and she starts to like stay at Raj's apartment. And, the problem with that was then eventually uh, Raj's mom uh, comes from India and stays with him. Just to see how he was doing and stuff like that. And once she meets Didi, she is like really like nasty to Didi. She would say like offhanded stuff to her and, and, you know, basically saying that, you know, she doesn't know any of the customs for, you know, the Indian customs and you know that he that basically Raj needs a Indian girl and not um an African girl Nigerian girl so it just became a lot of um issues so then when he tries to talk to his mom about it Didi also gets upset because you know he doesn't really come to her defense he just kind of lets everything um, happen and then he goes and talks to his mom separately and Dee Dee ten, um, tries to leave and they get into an argument and then 
you know, they break up for a certain amount of time. It never specifies what, how much time had passed. I'm guessing maybe a few months or so. Um, all the while, Dee Dee's working on this case, this domestic case that this guy, um, this, I guess, a politician's son, um, beat up um, this girl and, you know, basically now it's whether or not it's a he said she said situation and she used to work for her father's firm but then she quit to work for someplace else and there's a rival in the movie she's um pretty much she takes every opportunity to cut Dee Dee's ass about her being a um a lawyer a, a shitty lawyer and stuff like that her name is Primo, so Primo goes out of her way to just be nasty, you know, to uh, Dee Dee for pretty much no reason. Um, and it's fun, and that's the part about it is the majority of the time, the father lets it rock. Like, he doesn't even stop Primo from saying anything negative to his daughter, which I think is kind of messed up because you're the head of the company. Like, why are you not checking this girl who's coming at your daughter like that? Just because she chose to work as a, um, pretty much like a public defender. Like, that doesn't make any sense. That's not cool. So, um, surprisingly in here, some, 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 some toll, the potential love interest, surprisingly, he doesn't come off as a potential love interest because it seems like he's not really down for the idea of being, um, in a relationship with, um, Dee Dee. He probably entertained the idea maybe like once, but it never really came into anything. So uh, I think he just kind of came as the, you know, supportive background friend. But he was there, but not as seen in almost every scene that they were in. Um, I think I liked, um, the what I liked about the movie was the fact of the different cultures coming together because a lot of times you see if it's an interracial couple it's a a black guy uh it's a white guy with a black girl um uh what did i just say white girl okay hold on uh um let me rephrase that if i did make a mistake you will see a white guy with a black girl. Yeah, I think I did say it right the first time. I'm sorry, guys. Um, yeah, you'll see that a lot in in a lot of um, TV shows nowadays and, and movies. Um, so I think it was refreshing to kind of see like the black uh, uh, African girl with um, an Indian guy. Um, it's also good to see like the there was one scene where they were both cooking like their tradition like traditional uh, foods respectively in the kitchen. So you had like fufu and something else on one side, and then you had the the mom's um, you know Indian dish, and they were both giving it to Raj to see whose dish was better and who served it better. And Raj ended up liking um, his. Uh, his I think his um his girlfriends and um he just got full and I think he ended up leaving because it was just like they were just doing the most but I like the different cultures and and the fact that at the end she actually um they actually got married because he kept saying in the beginning he said she's the girl that I want to marry and I'm like dude you don't even know her how can you say you want to marry her but um I like the 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 dance sequence that they had in the movie 
when you first started dating. I like the the fact that they had her wear the traditional um, Indian garb. Um, you know, it wasn't too like uh, cultural appropriated. So I, I I tend to like the movie a lot. I think this movie is a keeper. I probably would watch it like maybe one more time afterwards. Um, but probably maybe not that much because quite frankly some some of the dialogue was a little hard to understand even with the subtitling so i think this is just going to be like maybe a one or two um times and that's for me all right now to the kissing booth number two so i left off uh with the kissing booth where uh noah is going off to was it yale I think he went off just to Yale um, and left our poor protagonist, Ellie, behind. Um, Ellie decides that she's going to try to do things without, you know, Noah. And she's feeling some type of way because Noah had gotten into a good school and she still hadn't heard anything from any of the schools that she wanted to go to. So the kissing move comes up where she and her friend um are trying to raise money again and they decided to pretty much make the idea for the kissing booth the problem is now the new guy they're trying to get the new guy um to come to the to do the kissing booth he's a little arrogant um marco's a little arrogant and you know he's not um he's he's cute I give him that. But um, Joey comes into a problem that she wants to go to college, but she can't afford it. Um, her father can't afford to take her to, uh, to college. So it's one of those things like, why don't you just take do a junior school and call it a day? But she wants to go to school out. And um, so here's the problem. She applies for um, Yale she gets in she gets accepted to Yale but she also gets accepted to the same school that she was going to apply with with um, Noah's brother and she gets into the school at the end of the movie she now has to make a decision on which school she wants to go to um the thing with that oh he goes to Harvard I'm sorry I don't know why I said Yale for some reason my mind was saying that Noah went to Yale um so basically after after all of that um joey ends up joey and flynn end up uh doing a um the thing again and to for her to go to school um she decides to enter a dance competition the dance competition goes like this so if she wins um, with a dance partner, they get to have, I think it's, uh, I forgot the amount of money. I think it's like $25,000 or $50,000. Um, and she's going to make that go and use that money to go to school. The, the, now the issue comes is this now that, um, Rachel, who's Flynn's girlfriend, is starting getting annoyed because since now that um, Noah is no longer in the picture and he's away at school, Joey is spending way too much time around them. 
so she feels like joey's the third wheel and she doesn't want to be dealing with it anymore so she tells um she tells flynn to go and talk to uh l about it because um you know just to give them some space he lies to um he lies to rachel and tells rachel that he spoke to her and he's gonna give her some space get um that l's gonna give him some space now here's the, the sucker move that i don't like about this is the fact that now you've been best friends with l since you guys were like little kids why couldn't you have been man enough to tell her that you needed your space and it have to come out in the middle of a blow up so what happened is joey uh excuse me not joey joey is the actress that plays l um l is supposed to go and visit um noah while she's on vacation and she notices that noah who's a former uh philanderer he has this uh this female friend of his that's very gorgeous well at least gorgeous to um l and she notices that he never really spoke about her and stuff like that so Noah's reasoning for having the female friend, and he also has a lot of male friends as well. The reason why he has a female friend is because he wanted to have the same experience that that L has with his brother since they grew up together and they're so close. So that was his reasoning for it, and he told her that nothing happened. Upon L um, being in his room while he was in the shower or something. Elle discovers a mysterious earring. So now she's upset because she's thinking that he's cheating on her with this girl named Chloe, who's his friend. He tells her that he doesn't know where the earring came from. And we have no choice but to believe him to say that he's telling the truth. But you know how these things go. We don't, we never really, no one ever really asks the right questions or says the right things we just only go on assumptions because of our own personal um emotions on the matter so <laughs> that's pretty much where that went and basically joey ends up feeling like withdrawn so when she goes she comes back to school she kind of sort of gets close to marco who's like this this you know the new kid in the school he's cute and sparks start to fly but she's still with noah so she's feeling conflicted on her feelings of whether or not noah really wants to be with her or if she should give this guy a chance now joey during the kiss during the uh the dance competition flynn decides that he's gonna go and fake an injury so that she could dance with Marco, who is a better dancer than than Flynn is. So Flynn ends up bowing out. He ends up spending time with his girlfriend, blows off his best friend for his girlfriend. And then when they have a Halloween um, party, Flynn ends up um, uh, dressing up completely different to what... Um, to what Rachel wanted because they never told Rachel that they changed the uh the changed the costumes that they were going to wear for Halloween 
they end up dancing together and Rachel gets upset she starts getting mad at, at L. L doesn't understand what's going on um she tells uh Flynn to go after Rachel because he, he said maybe I should go talk to her and she was like no well he was like no so basically there's a lot of teen drama like activities going on here bad behavior so at this time um L decides to give uh her friend some space or whatever um and she ends up going she ends up going to um hanging out with Marco and spending time with Marco um because she kind of sort of like tells like brushes off Noah for a bit and basically after that you know she's just so conflicted because she still loves Mark uh still loves Noah but Marco's this new guy and he's hot and he's there for her until when the dancing competition comes up and unbeknownst to Elle, Noah shows up for the dancing competition. She and Marco get like the highest score and they win. Unfortunately, as a lot of things to do happen, the two characters get, you know, the opposites attract and they end up kissing at the end of their routine she looks out just as they give them the grand prize of the i think it's the twenty-five thousand dollars, and sees noah in the crowd and noah walks up gets up out of his seat and walks out so now noah is pissed because now l just kissed this other guy and then they have the most awkward thanksgiving dinner ever so to be petty Noah invites Chloe, the same girl that 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 Elle thinks that he's cheating on her with. At the same time, Flynn invites Rachel, who's still mad at Elle because she thinks Elle is caught blocking them all the time and doesn't let them uh, have time to themselves. So when somebody asks the question and then out of nowhere, Rachel just starts going into L about how she never gives them any time to themselves and she's always around and and you know why she's always in their face and and then Elle's like I don't know what you're talking about and she said something to her like even after Flynn spoke to you you're still going ahead and you're still not listening about giving us some space and she was like I don't understand what you're talking about he never spoke to me about anything and he turns to her and he's like yeah I was going to tell her but I never got around to it and apparently she tried to go and speak to uh, Rachel about it Rachel was like no I don't want to hear it right now and then she left on the same token Chloe uh, and uh, Noah was talking about trust issues and all the other stuff and then Elle gives the gives them shows him the earring that she found and she said you know yeah i was wrong for kissing him but look at this like what what is this doing in your room apparently unbeknownst to mr noah the earring had dropped in in chloe left the has spent the time with i think her boyfriend or some guy that she was seeing in noah's room while noah was away and apparently never told him that she stayed in it in his dorm room 
and then the earring was mysteriously left behind, must have fallen out. So that's why why L thought that the earring um, the earring was due to the fact that they were having um, an affair because there are times where she would call him and he was unavailable because he was hanging out with Chloe. And she started to feel some type of way about that. So unbeknownst to her, if basically, if people would have just asked the questions, everything would have been probably solved in about maybe 20 minutes. At the end of the movie, Marco comes and he tries to go to the kissing booth. And I think to try to talk to her, talk to Elle to try to make sure like, you know, what he was feeling was real. And she told him like, yes, yeah, she likes him, but her heart is still with Noah. So she's gonna be stay with Noah. And that was the end of that. So there's no there's no relationship between her and Marco on that romantic level. Um, at the end, oh, also another uh, kicker. Flynn is actually mad with uh, Elle because Elle apparently applied to Harvard and he found her application in her bag when she left it in, her car, in his car by accident. So basically, a lot of people was mad at Elle <laughs> for doing things. And, it, and one was being mad at Elle for no reason because Elle didn't really know what was going on at the time. Um, so it was just one of those like, well, if you'd have just spoken to her, maybe she would have gotten it type of thing. So <laughs> it was just like one of those things. But she and Noah reconciled um, and, you know, uh, so did uh, Rachel and um, and Flynn. They also reconciled. Um, Marco was basically told to forget about her by his friend. That she's not worth it. But he is like, nah, I think she is. So we will see in the Kissing Booth movie number three. Which is, I think, set to come out sometime this year. Or maybe in 2022. I believe it's going to come out uh, next year. Um, just so that you guys have a heads up. The movies are on Netflix. Uh, Kissing Booth 1 and 2 are now on Netflix. Um, for me, personally, I like the movie. But I thought that the fact that, you know, what I didn't like was, like, the whole situation with Flynn. Like, Flynn gave, gave uh, Elle so much crap about her dating her brother in the first movie and whatnot like he almost cut off the friendship completely and what I didn't like about is the fact that you wanted to be honest with your girl but you wanted to be honest with your friend but you couldn't be honest with your friend to tell her that you felt that she was encroaching on your time with your girlfriend and even though that you knew that her your brother was away at college you could have just told her calmly that you know, you wanted to spend more time with Rachel alone. I think she would have understood that rather than just lying to her and never telling her the truth as to how you truly felt and making the girl get mad at her for something. Like you literally pitted your girlfriend against your best friend. Like that's a, that was a sucker move on my part, on uh, his part, excuse me, <laughs> not my part. Um, I don't know do something like that, but he literally like did that. And I was just like, what? So now you're mad that she's trying to go and decide whether or not she wants to go to the school, the, um, the school with you. I would have been like, no, you let you go to school with Rachel and I go to school with my man. So simple as that, right? 
But nothing in life is really all that simple. So like I said, we got to stay tuned. So guys, I'm going to stop the show right here. I'm going to come back with another, another episode that's going to be entirely dedicated to one topic because I noticed that a lot of times when I talk, I feel like my throat is, is dying. It's going out, but I want to make sure I give you guys the best of me, the best that I can possibly be. So with that, I am Samantha K and this is the Samantha K experience. And I'm signing out. Peace. Thank you.